Logical Progression, Year 1, Lesson 29. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'ta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatika ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Right, so inshallah today what we're going to do is that we will try and finish inshallah the section on siwak which is the first part of the uh, sunan of al-wudu it's only actually the first part in the way that uh, Al-Hajjawi, he's kind of organized it because you might even find that that the whole issue on Siwak wouldn't even wouldn't even come under su- uh, the Sunan of Wudu because is it actually part of Wudu per se? Is it an independent action? Um, you know, yes, it can be used in Wudu and yes, it's a separate action as well. Uh, when you're making Wudu, it's less obvious because you're cleaning your mouth anyway washing it and so on and so forth and for salah it's not so obvious that's not the kind of thing you'd think of doing when you're about to stand for prayer unless the prophet would have told you uh, and so and he did and so um it doesn't really have a natural home and so al-hijawi he put it in this specific section so we had a little chat about siwak last time yeah so the english uh of um the or the Arabic, I guess, um, in this chapter, Baba Subak Rasulun al Wudu. At the Sawq Bi'udin, Layin, Munqin, Ghayr Mudurrin, La Yatafatat, La Bi Usbu'ihi, Wakhirqa, Masnoonun Kulawaktin, Ghayr Sa'in Ba'd al Zawal. So, brushing the teeth using a soft twig which cleans the mouth, so the softness is in the word Layin. And the ud is referring to the twig, which is wood, effectively. And munqin, the thing which does annaqa, yani which removes and cleans, okay? Uh, which does no uh, damage, causes no darar, yani no damage, yep. Alayatafattat means doesn't splinter, doesn't break up. Then, um, this is masnoon. It is a sunnah at all times. Um... The uh, except after the sun's zenith, which I'm going to explain today, for someone who is fasting, basically in the afternoon. All right. Um, in actual fact, if the zenith is the noon, afternoon is the exact translation of that as well. Okay, in the afternoon. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit about that, and because we're translating it in English to for flow as opposed to and when we. We don't say this is an English translation. This is a, a very important f- uh, uh, thing as well. This is a rendering into English. I only ever render into English. I don't translate, okay? I don't, I'm not a fan of translation either, especially from the Arabic language, because if you try to do that, because they have fundamentally different sentence structures, okay? And so if you keep, if you keep to try, if you translate so faithfully that you're trying to keep even the exact sentence structure, then you lose the flow. So here, just for the students who are studying Arabic, right in the middle of that first line, that first Arabic sentence, it says, "La bi usbu'ihi wa khirqa." Okay, 
This is right in the middle of the sentence. Yet you'll see that in our first English translation sentence, there's nothing there. We actually created a whole separate sentence for it right at the end. And that's because it makes more sense. It flows. So in English, we've written at the, bot at the bottom, in brackets, the sunnah is, close brackets, not achieved by using the fingers or a polishing cloth. Okay, so that's just an important style uh, 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 application there. And this is what we would call rendering into English. Okay, we rendered it into English. We didn't translate it per se. I hope that that makes uh, some sense. The difference between translation and rendering. Um, if we were translating it literally, it might go something like this. Uh, brushing the 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 the, uh, the teeth is done using a stick which is soft which cleans which doesn't harm which doesn't splinter you can't use uh, your fingers and you can't use a cloth this is all sunnah every time except for the one who's fasting after the afternoon or in the afternoon you see it just doesn't make kind of it doesn't flow you know what i'm saying and so the way that we've done it, it, it ourselves is better Anyway, so we covered most of that, didn't we? We stopped at the statement in the commentary of Sheikh uh, al uh, statement that, um, well, we now we want to pick up actually at the bottom of page 145, la okay? Um, and we're going to have a little discussion about the Arabic of this particular statement. So let's just see what he says. The Sheikh says, and this is a, a difficult point, a controversial point, so let's, let's look at this in detail. Sheikh Uthameen says that Al-Hajjawi, the author of this text, he's saying it is not sunnah if you do your siwak, if you do your cleaning of the mouth using your finger. You know that a pack style that we do, you know? You know that one finger kind of job. Yeah. Um, it is, and so it won't achieve having have done the sunnah act. That's basically what the Sheikh wants to say. He goes, this is regardless of whether this is done during wudu or outside of wudu. And this is according to what the mu'allif, meaning al-hajjawi, has stated here. Just reading it apparently from what he has said. Now, Shaykh Uthameen then goes on to say that some scholars, and from them, al-muwaffaq, who is al-muwaffaq? Al-muwaffaq is Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi, the huge giant of the Hanbali Madhab, the master of the Hanbali Madhab, the one who uh, wrote... Uh, we covered this in the first uh, one or two lessons, right? Um, actually, subhanAllah, I forgot to say, you guys were expecting today to be a review, right? Was that right? Okay, yeah, I should, I should explain what's happening. Sorry, my apologies. Um, so, we had a discussion, we had a meeting, we had, um, yeah, and had a good reflection upon what's going on. Um, as it stands, what, and, and we also felt people's du'a affect us as well. We don't know whether it is a good du'a or bad du'a, but we got affected by the du'a anyway. So there are some people who are asking for just a break. There are some people who just wanted no exam. There are other people that yani, wanted the exam to be done after Ramadan. This, that, whatever, all kind of mixture of stuff. So anyway, the conclusion has been that the exam will now be after Ramadan. Okay, uh, to allow people to concentrate on the fiqh of Ramadan and fasting. Um, and to invest into that and then allow people then to focus on Quran in Ramadan and just yani as because obviously the days are so long and it will be a nice break from Ramadan and fasting and so on to maybe do some uh, you know a general reading of the uh, of your texts 
Um, so probably be in, in, the, in the few weeks following Ramadan. That's the first thing, the test. It still will be uh, based upon the first 18 chapters, uh, the uh, first uh, 18 lessons, or it might be a bit more. That's actually not really that important. Um, but there's, there's a few things. I said that we were going to produce some student notes um, that were going to make it easy for you to revise and so on and so forth. We've had a review of that process. The fact of the matter is, is that there's two things. Number one, um, the amount of effort that would be required to create what we would consider to be like a professional set of tabulated, graphical, blah, 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 kind of set of notes, um, seems like beyond our ability and our, logis our logistics. That's what it seems, okay? Because there's really not enough people um, willing enough to put in the amount of time that, that that's required for. Um, and it's a, it's a huge undertaking. But the second point actually is more press, is more uh, important. And that is that the transcribed set of notes now has reached such a state of excellence that I'm very happy with them. The transcribed set of notes are now uh, in Arabic using a commentary inclusive of Sheikh Muhammad Muhtar Shankiti's commentary as well in a manner which is neat and uh, complete and also checked with, by myself as well. So, um, as it stands, we've decided that that's what we're going to go with. And so, what the instructions are for everyone in the class is that they go back now, that you go back now and you uh, rely upon the first 18 lessons specifically and then carry on reading as well if you get the time to do the other 27 as well. We will still be having a review session of those transcribed notes. I'm just in the process of getting hold of a new book. Uh, <laughs> I was having a good laugh about this with uh, the uh, Brisk Factory students in Birmingham because I wrote something about sisters and how miles ahead they are of the brothers. And uh, so I had to obviously backtrack in a class because some sisters were getting a bit beyond themselves, you know what I mean, yeah? <laughs> so I had to give them a little bit of a slap down and just put them down. And then I had to admit to them that the ironic thing, of course, is that I'm waiting for a book to come, which is going to make my job a lot easier in that we will be able to summarize in a review session all of the transcribed notes. And it'll be just very, very simple for us uh, because a book has been written which has uh, summarized all of the rulings of Sharh Mumtia, not even Mustaqni'a, but actually of Sharh Mumtia, of Sheikh Uthameen's key statements, all summarized, all done in Arabic. So for me, it would save me just literally days and hours. And it's written by his main female student, woman, yani, mashallah. And that's, that's, the, that's the problem. So, you know, I was trying to keep that, the sex of the author a secret, but I can't. Uh, it's been out. She is unfortunately a female, and so this only goes to perpetuate this, uh, this uh, myth. Myth? So uh, anyway, so uh, so then that I'll have that as well, and so it will make it easier for us to then review the notes as well. So that's the plan. So um, for those who wanted the exam after Ramadan, you got what you wished. You uh, will be able to focus now Ramadan. You do your Quran. You do need to re read the transcribed notes. The transcribed notes are better than you may think because I've been through them. And actually, um, there are still one or two people who are working on students' notes, and they might still want to go ahead with that. But I actually said, you know what, don't, because I'm happy with these notes as they are. But if that happens, let it happen. 
You guys now just focus on the transcribed notes which are there on the forum, all open, all access. They're excellent, mashallah, tabarakallah, led by uh, Widad and her team, of course. Um, that leaves then today, as I said, today will be the completion of the chapter of Siwak. That's what will be today. And then next week, inshallah, we're going to go through the most important and pressing relevant rulings on Ramadan, okay? To make sure that all of the issues that you guys are facing at the practical level, so the fasting start times, end times, all the fitna around that, prayer, tarawih, and then the, uh, the key aspects of the fast, the key questions, um, and fatawa about medication and blood tests and all that kind of standard stuff that comes up every year. We'll cover that as a bonus session next week, open access. And then obviously after that is Ramadan a few days later. That's the plan. Are we good with that? Yeah. And as I said, we will be back after Ramadan as well. Um, there is no break after Ramadan. So break for Ramadan and then the first session straight after. Yeah. Is there a lesson? Breaking Ramadan. Yeah, yeah, we are breaking Ramadan. Yes. We, you knew that, right? We said that before. Yeah, yeah, we're breaking Ramadan. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, okay. Now, some of the scholars, Al-Muwaffaq, and this is, this is information that you should know, so I am going to ask you, and hopefully you're going to get it right, without guessing, because um, this is contained in the transcribed notes, because I checked it myself. Okay? So, Al-Muwaffaq is, of course, Ibn Qudama Al-Maqdisi, and he is the one who wrote... Uh, most of the key seminal texts in fiqh, all right, with respect to the Hamli Madhab. And of course, of course, he wrote a book. Which book did he write? Which this one is based upon? Mughni, of course, is the fifth of the five levels of the Hamli texts. That's number five, okay? We said we talked about ones that we've studied here already. Anyway, it's in the title, by the way. <laughs> the title, if you go back to the, if you go back to the first, if you have any of the Arabic there, then you'll see that it says, I think, in the opening statement. One second. Did he say that? Yeah. He said, the muallif fahada muhtasarun fil fiqhi. This is a summary in fiqh min muqni' of the Imam Al-Muwaffaq ibn Muhammad, the uh, Muhammad of course ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi. Al-Muqni' is the third of the five, the books that he wrote, okay? Um, and of course, what, and it's, a, it's a seminal text, it's a key text, but Al-Hajjawi, he obviously summarized it in this very, very simple form. Obviously, Sharh Mumti is the big detailed commentary to it so that's going to take ages obviously and um, he said so uh, Sheikh uh, Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi and also his nephew his nephew who wrote um, the and remember folks remember 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 I know that online we have some very very good students online because I'm in touch with them and I'm sure we have some here or a few here but they are better than than many of you for the amount they write down. And I was reminded of a principle today on email from one of those students that their ilm is in their ilm. Okay? If you're waiting for something for magically to appear on your piece of paper or your text, it's not going to come. So if you, even if you know something, you write it down anyway because you probably forgotten it first time round. Writing it again will remind you again and again and again. These are important pieces of knowledge which you are hearing 
which I say might say randomly or I might say as a planned thing. But it's important. Everything matters. Everything that a teacher says to you in a lesson, I said to you before, it matters. Until you, re you re-read and review your lesson again later, which you should be doing at the weekend, which I told you before is, a, is, is, a, is very important for the knowledge to settle, then you can cross out things which you found nonsense or useless or whatever. Okay, But you have to write. That is essential for proper real students of fiqh. His nephew is also called what? The, the, the nephew of Ibn Qudama. He is also called Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi. But he has a different laqab. He has a different title. You know, al-Muwaffaq. Al-Muwaffaq is a title that was given by other scholars because they respected him so much. What does Muwaffaq mean? Muwaffaq means someone who's been given tawfiq. Yep. What's tawfiq? It's that divine special ability by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Almost that permission. Almost that, yani, it's like Allah, it's like a person says, I want to do this, and Allah has agreed. There's a wafaq. Wafaq means to agree with someone, right? So, um, it's almost, you could say, that a person says, this is what I want to do, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you will do it. Go ahead, I'm with you. It's like he gives him that special permission, that special ability. Divine blessed ability, we translate it as tawfiq. You know, we use that word in Urdu all the time. But the one who, Allah is the muwafiq, he is the one who gives tawfiq, and the one who gets tawfiq at the receiver, he is called muwafaq. So al-muwafaq, yani, is such a high praise for Ibn Qudama. It's like, yani, the truth agreed with him. He was being given all the help. He was given the ability. Obviously, these scholars don't like these titles in their lifetime, but it's normally we give them to them when they pass away, so we don't care, they don't care either. Yani, so... You know, Al-Muwaffaq is what was given to him. Now, his nephew, he wrote a commentary to this Muqna', the one of uh, the book of Ibn Qudama. Okay, he wrote a commentary to that. That's called Al-Sharh Al-Kabir, the, 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 the mighty commentary or the big commentary, which was the number one commentary to Al-Muqna'. The, the book Al-Muqna', again, so that you're not going around in circles. Al-Muqna' is the original book, the third out of the five books of fiqh, okay, that Ibn Qudama wrote. Al-Muqna' is that third book. This Zad al-Mustaqna' is the summarized version, a very simple summarized version of that book. But let's go back to Muqna'. Muqna' was, was given a commentary, a commentary by Ibn Qudama's own blood nephew. His name was also Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi. But how was he differentiated? He was differentiated by a new a new laqab, a new title, Shamsuddin. Okay, the I don't know. It sounds horrible to say the son of the religion, but something like that. I don't know. The Shams of the Deen. Anyway, the point is, is that uh, that's his uh, that's his laqab, and he wrote a commentary. Who knows the name of the other major commentary of this uh, of Muqni? And it's a book that we've been referring to a number of times in the footnotes. That book is Al-Insaf, okay, Al-Insaf, and that is a very important commentary for the Hanbalis, and that book was written by Al-Mardawi, okay, and uh, Al-Mardawi was a, is considered to be one of the main fuqaha of the Hanbali madhab. So that's just a little bit of, that's just a little bit of uh, background information for you to refer to, okay. Anyway, both of these scholars, Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi 
And remember what's important about Ibn Qudama is that his statement is considered to be the Mu'atamad. We discussed this before. The word Mu'atamad means the relied upon position in the Madhab. Remember what I told you? Why do we need to rely upon a position? Because there are many different narrations from the Imam that he said this in one time, he said this at another time. And maybe his students and the scholars of the Madhab, they'll change their own opinions. And so they'll become so many opinions that you get confused. So then the later, the later scholars try and choose one of them and say, this is the established based upon opinion which we can use for rulings. Sometimes they'll use it to give fatwa by etc, etc, etc. That's a complicated matter. But I want you to know that Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi, his statements are considered the Mu'atamad in the Madhab of the Hanbalis. So anyway, he and his nephew, they both said, إِنَّهُ يَحْصُلُ مِنَ السُّنِّيَةِ بِقَدْرِ مَا حَصْلَ مِنَ الْإِنْقَاءِ Yani that, that actually, actually, you do achieve a sunnah depending upon how much you clean your mouth. So I just want to remind you of the point that we're trying to establish, okay? We're doing it slowly because we're doing it in detail. I can give you a quick summary with, you know, within 10 seconds. The author is trying to say that you're only going to get the reward of doing siwak if you use the physical siwak, okay? There's of course the other argument that's, very, uh, that's made these days that, you know what, just use a toothbrush, okay? And if you can use a toothbrush, then job done. It's the same thing, isn't it? What's the difference? And... Back in those days, there weren't many toothbrushes or uh, or said. What's it? What's the what's the bristle made of? Nylon. nylon, nylon. I don't think they had access to nylon in that kind of manner. Obviously, the nylon in its original thing it would have been used in its cloth form but in the ability to create it and put it at that level and understand the lengths and blah 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 so at that time their debate at that time is can you achieve the sunnah using a cloth or your finger the 21st century version of the same debate which is 600 years old or whatever is can you achieve the sunnah using a toothbrush or a uh, uh, a siwak the that may be the 20th century debate the 21st century debate is can you achieve the same using mouthwash okay because that wouldn't have even entered into the, the discussion that you would actually do that from a cleansing point of view. So this is the debate which is going to be played out now over the next one or two pages. And it's an important debate and a delicate one. Because obviously, um, it, you, and I'll, explain, I'll explain in a minute. Anyway, so the point is that, that Al-Hajjawi seems to have closed the door. He's kind of said, listen, Sunnah is Sunnah, Siwak, that's it. Whereas Ibn Qudama has opened it a bit, as, and, as well as his nephew. He has said, no, actually... Uh, this is a nice word where he says, "Innu yahsulu min al-sunniyata." Okay, the uh, the the min al-sunniyati. Sorry, bi qadri ma hasala min al-inqa. That depending upon actually how much cleansing occurs in the mouth by whatever means, it's the level of cleansing the cleansing that will achieve the reward of sunnah. So what Ibn Qudama is effectively trying to say, he goes is trying to say that miswak is the most cleansing thing. For him, in his opinion, that the siwak is, su- is, is a sunnah because it's so good at cleaning. How can we guess that? We can guess that because he's trying to say that you, you get the reward of sunnah if the thing cleans it more. Which is very interesting, actually, when you think about it. Okay? Because you would not have expected a traditionalist to go down that line. That's the kind of line that a modernist would have gone down. That's the kind of argument that I would have put forward. Hey, my teeth can be cleaned better with, with mouthwash. I don't even need to use siwak or toothbrush or whatever. So as long as I can clean my mouth better than what you can with a siwak, I get the full reward of sunnah. That's effectively what 
premise Ibn Qudama is using, which I find fascinating. And then, turning over the page, وَقَدْ رُوِيَ عَنْ عَلِيِّ بِنَ بِطَالِبِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ فِي صِفَةُ الْوُضُوءِ عَنَ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ that the Prophet ﷺ has been narrated uh, uh, according to Ali ibn Abi Talib that he put some of his fingers in his mouth. So we don't know what that means. We don't know whether that means two fingers in his mouth or three fingers in his mouth, but meaning some of his fingers. Okay? And this indicates, Shaykh Uthameen says, that tasawwuk bil usbu' that the cleaning of the teeth using your fingers Kafin is sufficient, but it is not like wood because the wood is ashaddu in qa'an. The wood cleans much more because obviously you have the bristles. So your fingers obviously are soft, aren't they? It doesn't have bristles. But unfortunately, it's quite, quite possible that um, a man might not have at his disposal a siwak when he's making wudu. So therefore, we will say, and this is now uh, Sheikh Uthaymeen, that it is sufficient to use the fingers. Sufficient to use the fingers. Now, I'll tell you something. Um, did I mention to you guys about the Arabic of the uh, fingers? I didn't, did I? Oh yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Okay, so... So that's the fingers. So he said that they've entered the, the, the fingers have, uh, have been narrated to have been used in the mouth during the, time, during the wudu. So therefore we're allowing, we're allowing the fingers to be used. And now he talks about the khirqa. The khirqa is now just referring to any cloth. I think they have something called a polishing cloth, huh, Shaz? A polishing cloth, no? Have I heard that from like old Victorian times they used to use clo cloths to clean their teeth, no? There isn't it? Like a, so there's some, I, I, I've heard the phrase a polishing cloth being used on the teeth. No? And I mean, I mean th this seems to support it because why are they referring specifically to a polishing cloth on the teeth? Anyway, Sheikh says that according to Hajawi, it is not Sunnah to use a polishing cloth. Um, uh, on the, it's not Sunnah to use it. And even if you do use it, you won't get the reward of the Sunnah. Now, and he says here, he goes, what does it even mean? He goes that you get the khirqa and you, you, you put it around your, your finger and then you clean it with your finger. And he goes that the reason that this was done it goes is because, it, because of the nature of the cloth, it was cleaning greater than cleaning with the finger by itself. Okay, so you somehow wrapped it in and you're doing that. And he goes, he goes, as Sheikh Uthameen says, he goes, it's for this reason, he goes, and it's for this very reason that some of the scholars said that if a finger is rough enough, yani, yani, male enough basically, actually not male enough, woman enough, yani, because to be honest, males have the softest hands, mashallah, okay? And the women have got the rough hands, yeah? that's me, it's true, honestly. I've got such soft hands, mashallah. <laughs> I've got very liquid uh, hands, eh? Do they still do that, very liquid? Is the advert still going, yeah? Back in the day, 20, 30 years ago, you know, she would go, oh, Mommy, your hands are so soft. And then she'd sing, da 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 with who? Mild green. Ah, with mild green, very liquid. Now remember that, no? Okay. You can't remember that, yo? That's my, that's my childhood, yeah? Anyway. Uh, anyway. Was mild green the color or the flavor or the smell? 
<laughs> Can we just move on? Nasser got upset by that, yeah, I'm skiing. Okay, all right. They, I don't think they had lemon in those days. Then it was just very simple, just green. Just one, one, fla one fla flavor? <laughs> color. One, one, one color. It also has a specific taste as well. I don't know if you remember. You know, back in days when you used to, when you kids, just so that you've been, you know, my dad, yeah, when we used to swear, he used to make a wash our mouths out with that fairy liquid. That was no joke, that's me, because you know the fairy liquid, it just keeps throffing, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how much you keep washing, it just keeps, and it keeps coming out, keeps coming out, you know? It's like that shower gel stuff. All right, anyway. He goes that if it's rough enough, um, then it's okay to use the finger and you, and you get the reward. But if the finger is smooth, you won't get the reward. And the narration there is in Al-Majmu' the Sharh of Al-Muhadhab. Tell me which madhab that's from. Who is the author of Al-Majmu'ah? Imam al-Nawawi, correct, okay? This is the book of Imam al-Nawawi, actually. So, uh, Shaykh Uthameen is referring to the Shafi'i scholars there, who are the partners of the Hanabila, really, in fiqh, to be honest. So, he's just referring to a statement by Imam al-Nawawi that uh, he's saying that in our madhab, some of our scholars say that if the finger is rough enough, then we can achieve it. Okay? Now, Shaykh says, look, we've already said, we've already made clear that the finger, that the cloth around a finger is better than the finger in cleaning the mouth. So, whoever says that the uh, sheikh says, if anyone's going to claim that it's sufficient to use the finger to clean the mouth, then certainly the cloth can be used as well because it is more cleansing. It is more cleansing. Yes, uh, Nasser. Earlier on, at least the way you translated it, you mm -hmm. said that if a person is sat to make wudu and they don't have siwak, then he can use his finger. So he's bringing it as a concession, not as establishing a point in and of itself. Like for example, he said, if you go to make wudu and you don't have siwak, you can use a toothbrush. Yeah. He didn't say you can use a toothbrush and it's the same as siwak. Correct. But this is Shaykh Uthameen himself. Yeah. Not, this is not referring to Al-Hajjawi. Shaykh Uthameen has no problem using the finger outside, inside. He's, um, what he's trying to do is to create himself an extra precedent that even during the wudu, especially during wudu, as this hadith has mentioned, as this uh, narration of Ali ibn Abi Talib has seen, has shown that when the Prophet was making wudu, he entered his fingers into his mouth. So he's saying there's an evidence there. If you have, a, if you don't have a siwak, then use it. Yet we know that the practice of the Prophet was siwak during wudu. So he's able to use that narration to, to box off wudu, and he's using ta'lil, meaning to try and understand what the illa is. What's the illa, folks? What's the illa? Cleaning. cleaning. Correct. The illa is cleaning. So he's using the illa to try and establish the use of the finger and the cloth outside. Isn't that hard from like one random narration that Prophet didn't have his siwak? So he says, okay, I can't use my siwak, so I'll just try to clean my mouth. There's no, evidence, there's no evidence that he didn't have his siwak. Remember a very important principle. I think we covered it before. Adam al-Wurud, the lack of mention in a narration doesn't necessitate the lack of ruling in the hukam. Does that make sense? Uh, so uh, let me try and explain that. If a hadith um, like this one mentions that the Prophet ﷺ put his fingers in his mouth, and like Nasser said, what well, you know, uh, that's just uh, how can we establish 
uh, that against his siwak or whatever. The point is, is that the fact that the Prophet's fingers are mentioned, there's a principle in Surah Al-Fiqh that, that this, this does not mean that the siwak was not there. Just because a siwak is not mentioned in the hadith doesn't mean it wasn't in his pocket. We can't make that a, a certain call. And remember what we mentioned last week, week before that, when it comes to the principles of Ahl Hadith, is that we never, and of course Sheikh Ihlan's entire lecture last week, if you remember, is that they never try to, uh, they always try to bring together and combine everything. So this would be a classic Ahl Hadith approach, where it would be, look, we only see the Prophet ﷺ talk about Siwak, He's so many ahadith about it. If it wasn't for making it difficult for my ummah, I would make them use it all the time. I would make it obligatory upon them. The rewards and this and that about siwak. And then he used his fingers. So what would happen is that you've got two approaches. You either go very hardcore traditionalist ahl fiqh approach, which would be like al-hajawi apparently, which is you can only use a siwak and that's the only way the sunnah is going to be established. And they would say, well, this hadith was maybe he didn't have a siwak with him, blah, blah, blah. Yep, so that's how we, we explain that away. Ahl hadith would say, clearly it's sunnah to use the siwak. That's what we should do. Hey, if you don't have one, no problem, use your fingers as well. Okay, because there's a narration there that showed that he used the fingers, sallallahu alayhi And so therefore, we don't write any hadith off. We've combined everything and, you know, we've allowed for some kind of uh, 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 reconciliation. There would be a, even a further position, again, those more with the Nahl hadith methodology that would say, well, you know what? The existence of the uh, fingers actually does more than just allow in emergency to use the fingers in the absence of siwak. In actual fact, the siwak must have been with him because he was never going to be seen without a siwak. We don't ever see him not using a siwak. His using the fingers is a message that actually what it's really about is to keep the mouth clean. This is, of course, where Ibn Qudama is moving to. This is where his nephew, Shamsuddin uh, Ibn al-Maqdisi, is moving to. This is my position as well. My position is that a person uh, who uses a toothbrush has achieved the sunnah. I know it's, we, we, we haven't yet seen someone in, uh, at the, in the front line pull out a toothbrush yet, but I want to, but I keep forgetting mine. Yani, otherwise, that's the thing. I, I myself, I used to, when I used to be young and uh, fit and... and uh, and not uh, uh, addicted to uh, uh, Diet Pepsi. Shazad now has made me addicted to Diet Pepsi. I don't know what I can do now. He's my dentist, by the way. And this is what he does to me. Uh, I used to use miswak day and night like sick man. I wouldn't go anywhere without it. But then I lost all the enamel on my teeth. And now it really, really, really hurts to use the uh, uh, to use siwak. And so I use a toothbrush a lot. So, a to uh, so I am of that opinion, and there are a number of contemporary scholars, um, and I think Shakehlana as well is on this opinion as well. Wallahu a'lam. That really their illa is not in the siwak itself, but rather their illa is in the cleaning. Now I recognize even myself that that is a position which is a bit difficult to stomach for traditionalists and some scholars. It's like the opinion, not exactly like the opinion, but it's like the opinion. It's the bit kind of bit, bit kind of no, it's not controversial it's a bit of troublemaking opinion yani, you know just people causing fitna um, who say we should eat with uh, knives and forks because this is a sunnah because if the prophet was here then this is what he would eat with this is troublemaking okay this is someone yani, who's just taking things a bit too far and just yani, you know 
and making an assumption and trying to assume that there definitely was no knives and forks at the time of the Prophet etc 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 we understand his argument but we don't want to take it that far I think the balanced position and this as I said is my taught position in the class regardless of personal practice regardless of what you're reading here you've now seen enough discussion surrounding it to be able to uh, uh, form your own opinion but the official position of the class is that the um, that the process of cleaning the teeth and it's going to become clearer now okay when we talk about Masnoon, the chapter of the the section that he's got for Masnoon, uh, for it being a Sunnah, I think there's two rewards for cleaning the mouth. Okay, there's one for cleaning the mouth, and the mouth itself, for it to be clean, is something which fits every Islamic principle and hadith and ayah that we know. Walking with honor, being beautiful. Allah loves Allah loves, Allah loves the beautiful. Allah loves beauty, so be beautiful. Uh, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was always yani, emphasizing cleanliness and hygiene and and appearance, etc., etc., and that yani that people who smell bad don't come to the masjid. Garlic eaters, onion eaters, etc., etc. That uh, yani, it's a very clear that people should look after a personal body odor, bad breath and all this kind of thing as a priority. So there's no doubt about about it that regardless of whether the siwak was there or not, there's a, a reward to be achieved when a person says, for the sake of me being a Muslim, and for the sake that I don't ever want to put a bad impression upon anyone, I will keep my mouth clean. That's something you do as humans anyway, non-Muslims do as well. But if you have it with that intention, you get rewarded by Allah for it. I think there's a second level reward if you use a siwak. I honestly believe and I follow that traditionalist opinion that the emphasis of the Prophet so much so on the siwak means the siwak has to be given some kind of status. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just difficult for me to swallow that the Prophet has kept repeating siwak, 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 siwak when there would have been other trees. There would have been other manners and there was some of the ulama, they said that the Prophet ﷺ has rinsed his mouth before and spat it out. And yet we don't see that action emphasized as much as the physical brushing and the preparation by Aisha radiallahu anha all the time of the siwak. Actually, you can write much about the siwak and its place in the seerah and its use and others people use other people using it and the salaf and so on and so forth. So there just seems to be too much emphasis. So I'm saying that you brush your teeth using a brush and you don't ever touch a siwak ever, you will have achieved the sunnah of maintaining your clean health. Will you have hit the higher stage of a second level of reward of emulating the Prophet ﷺ with a specific stick which itself seems to be blessed in some one way or the other, I don't think so. You won't achieve it unless you use it. That's my summary. Now I just want to move on. I summarize that because I might get caught into like side discussions here and there and I don't want to, I want to make sure that I do finish this chapter and there are a good quite a few pages left. Um, I just want to mention something that Shaykh Uthameen states about the language. He says that, uh, this is a fa'idah, whenever you see in uh, 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 the commentators, um, this actually explains why you should never complain about the tangents of your teacher. I'm not trying to justify something here, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Sheikh Uthameen is going to go on a complete right angle here, a complete right angle. And he goes, there's a side benefit in the language about the word usbur. He goes, fil usbur ashru lughatin. He goes, there are 10 ways of saying the word fingers. Okay, ten ways. He goes, and he goes, it's for that reason. He goes, 
he goes and it's for that reason that when it comes to writing this word proper, properly in a sentence in its right place with the right spelling and punctuation you can't make a mistake with it because all of the variations are ex acceptable so I'll give you the example that he is uh, uh, just explained there. You Jews, yani, okay, let's try that. Okay, let's see if these, uh, these kids are awake because they look both dead. Okay, you ready? Okay, then read. The, uh, give me the, the various uh, 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 ways that you can say Usbur. Starting from that bottom. One is. Sakinatun. Okay, so make it sakin. Okay. Walhamzatu walba muthalathatan. What does muthalatha mean? Triangular. Triangular, correct. Muthalatha means that it can, and in the Arabic language, the word when something is muthalatha, it means that it can take all three signs. Yani zabar ziyat pesh. Yep. All apply to that letter. Fatha, Kasra, Dhamma. Okay? So read it, uh, Isa. The Hamza and the Ba can all be with Dhamma, with Fatha, or with Kasra. Mashi? So, give me, give, you give me three versions of Usbur. The Hamza, let's say the Hamza is Fath. It will be? Asbur. Second one? Isbur. Third one? Usbur. Okay. Yeah, here you give me three more. We did Hamza, Fath. So now do Hamza, Kas. Isbur. This is the fourth one you should be writing, okay? Isbur is the fourth one. Wow, I've lost myself now. You lost yourself. You're supposed to be changing the bat. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, uh, 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 change the the bat. Yeah, correct. No, no. Start with uh, start with u. Yep. Usbir. Very good. Us ba and bur, which was mentioned already. I would love. I've messed up myself. Okay, Zakumullah. Let me do it myself. Khalas, right? Okay. So if we use the, uh, the what, do we, what do we say that when the sad is sakin, it's got the sukun on it. Then the hamza and the ba can all take three different forms. So let's start off with the uh, hamza. So we start with Hamza as a Dhamma. So it would be Usbur, Usbir, Usba'. Okay? Now change the Hamza to a Fatha. It would be Asbur, Asbir, Asba'. We change now the Fatha, the, the, the Hamza to a Kasra. It would be Isbur, Isbir, Isba'. There's nine there. 
Add it to the original, which is Usbar, that's 10. I think that's 10, isn't it? Anyway, just a, that's a rare occurrence in the Arabic language. And Sheikh just wanted to mention uh, this point. Okay, so, and this is important, by the way, you know, uh, uh, what you've just read there, what you've learned, hopefully, for the advanced students of knowledge. When you're reading the books of Sirah, and especially when you're reading the books of Hadith, you always come across names that don't have the tashkil on it. Okay? Now, this is important. This is a really important point for the, for the, for the real students of knowledge amongst you. In the earlier books, they don't say that, they don't, they don't write the word like you see it. You know, like Ulla uh, Kasra uh, and the Fatha and whatever. They describe it. They say the, the Sa'ad is Muthalatha and the thingy is Sakina. You mean they describe and say that it takes three forms. and it So you have to know the terminology to be able to even say the name correctly. They don't write it all for you. So they'll just write the name without any tashkil and they'll follow it up with two sentences describing what you have to do with it. It's really difficult actually, you know, you can get, it can be confusing. So the word muthalatha is a really useful phrase to know in ilm. It means that the phrase, that the word, the letter itself can take all three forms of um, haraka. What's haraka in English? Vowel, vowel, that's right. All three, vowel, uh, all three varied vowel sounds. Anyway, now Sheikh Uthameen wants to discuss and debate the issue of masnoon. The word uh, masnoon, I think is a pack word, isn't it? It's very common in, in Indian pack kind of literature, right? Masnoon. Agreed? Yeah? It's not so much, so much in the classical Arabic, but it is much more in our uh, more modern uh, Indian and Asian kind of uh, literature. So he said masnoon is a, is the, is referring to siwak or tasawuk. So he goes that, uh, that, uh, that Imam al-Hajawi has actually called it uh, Masnoon. What does, what's the definition of Masnoon? Masnoon. Every act of worship which has been commanded to perform but not as an obligation. Okay? Which has been commanded to perform. Every act of worship which has been commanded to perform but not in an obli obligatory fashion. Meaning that one is not going to be uh, punished but you are commanded you are commanded to do it and that's of course the Prophet many times he told the nation to do it to do it to do it yes but we know that it's not an obligation because the same sentence where he told us not to do it he goes but it's because that I don't want things to become difficult upon my ummah that I'm not making it obligatory upon you so we have a category it's called masnoon it means that this action is going to be required but you're not going to be punished because obviously it can't be upon the obligatory way because if it was then we would call it wajib we wouldn't call it masnoon he goes what is the evidence that it is the evidence is in the authentic hadith this is the hadith which is narrated in Bukhari in the book of Jumu'ah and the reference is at the bottom. If it wasn't, translation, if it wasn't that I wanted, if it wasn't that I caused difficulty upon my nation, I would have commanded them to do the siwak before every prayer. If I repeat that, it'd be different. But anyway, if it wasn't that I, if, if it, what did I say? If it was not that I, if it was not that I would have caused difficulty to my ummah, I would have commanded them to do the siwak before every single prayer. 
I hope that's similar to the first time around. Anyway, I really have to try and translate these before I come. Then you know, I won't have this mistake. Um, so, so Sheikh Uthameen says, so therefore his statement that if it wasn't that I didn't want to cause difficulty, this proves that it's not wajib. I think that's pretty straightforward. Yes? Okay. Um... So basically he's just saying that clearly the statement of the Prophet shows its importance and it shows that it's a recommended action but it's not wajib. Okay, now we move on to the point. Every single time, in the text in the English, it's the statement does not splint, uh, is a sunnah at all times on the second line. Is it really a sunnah at all times? Because the author then adds his own little exception. He said, except for the one who's fasting after the, in the afternoon. So let's look at the issue of at all times. Sheikh Uthameen says that night or day. In the night, uh, 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 this is at all times. And why is it at all times? Why, why do we need to say all times, by the way? Why do we need to bring this discussion in? Why are we even having a discussion about at all times? Because so far, this, this, the scene has been set for what time? The prayer times, okay? So far, it's only been mentioned in relation to the prayer time, isn't it? So we need to know, if he's going to say all times, we now need a further evidence. We definitely need further, we do have that further evidence. The Prophet wasallam said, This is the hadith which is narrated again by Bukhari, but in ta'aliq, form now this needs a bit of discussion um, you know that uh, Imam Bukhari of course has Sahil Bukhari and this has all these many ahadith in it which are all authentic but he also includes narrations in there where he doesn't include the chain of people the chain of narrators now when you do not claim when, when you do not mention the name of the narrators of a hadith okay this is a, this is this is this is a fatal mistake all right and it makes the narration automatically weak. Because if we allowed people just to quote, you know, if I was to say, I heard from Sheikh Ihlan who said that Sheikh uh, Abdul Ghaffar uh, Hassan said that Abdullah ibn Umar said that the Prophet said, I missed out like 20 people of whatever, okay? Yani, they can, then people will just make up whatever they want to make up if we're coming to hadith, all right? It's common sense, isn't it? So for we all know that for the conditions of hadith, you must have continuity and each narrator mentioned that he took it from him, that he heard from him, he heard from him, he heard from him, he said to me, I said to him, he taught me that the Prophet said, da da da. So that is the chain. These are the ruwa, the narrators all the way. This is called the isnad. It must be continuous all the way. Imam Bukhari's book is the super high quality book that it is because he added an extra condition. He said that not only does each uh, uh, person need to be uh, connected but they have to have met each other and it has to be proven historically and practically it has to be proven it has to be proven that they know each other and met each other which is not a condition which has been established by the other books of hadith all right, or the other muhaddithin because of this extra condition you you cancel out hundreds and thousands of hadith and you're literally only left with a couple of thousand and that's why Imam Bukhari's standard is the super highest and so many don't get in and because so many don't get in, what does get in is supreme, high quality, perfect. Okay, that's why his book is the most authentic. Now, when he then narrates these ahadith in what we call ta'aliq form or mu'allaq, the word mu'allaq is the alaqa. You know, the word alaqa is of course the leech, as you know, uh, and it means a hook. All right, and the 
shape is, 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 is defined by the word muallaq and it's hanging. The idea is that it's hanging. And what's hanging? The hadith is literally hanging to the statement of this person who's quoting it with no uh, solid chain in between because he's missed out the entire 200 years of narrators. Now, why would someone do that? There are a number of reasons that people would do that or muhaddithin would do that. Um, but in essence, when Bukhari does it, when Bukhari does it, he has already got an established chain for that statement, but somewhere else, either in his existing book or in other of his books, or the other scholars know of that chain, and he just doesn't bother quoting it. That's one explanation. Another explanation is, is that maybe he doesn't even care whether you consider it to be authentic or not. He's actually using it as a supplementary evidence and not a primary evidence. So he's making a supplementary point, just quoting a statement just like that, as opposed to making you want to believe this is a really pure, strong hadith, and so on and so forth. So there are a number of reasons why he would do that. But you need to know that it exists. And you need to know that when any scholar does this action, it's not really given too much weight. But when Imam al-Bukhari narrates a hadith in mu'allaq form, uh, mu'allaq form, ta'aliqan as we said, what did we say that is? When he cuts out the entire chain of narrators, Literally, the whole chain is gone, okay, or a large number of the people in the chain are gone. Then this is a weak hadith, except when it's narrated by Imam Bukhari. Most of the time, it is authentic, okay. This narration, uh, what did the Prophet sallallahu say uh, in the hadith of Aisha, which is narrated by Imam Bukhari in this uh, in 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 mu'allaq form in the chapter of fasting. He said that the siwak is purificatory, purificatory to the mouth, pleasing to the Lord, okay that the siwak is purificatory to the mouth and pleasing to the Lord. Alright? And so what's that proof that's been established in this hadith? That this has nothing to do with time. That's what the, the Prophet ﷺ has established. That by the wording in this narration, we can now move out of every prayer and we can move out of wudu. We can now see that, uh, you know, that this is something for all times, every personal interaction with friends, even non-interaction. And of course, when we go further, and we don't have the time really to do that now, we know a number of narrations. The Prophet ﷺ, when he was in his illness stage, he was having his uh, siwak made ready for him by Aisha consistently throughout his illness. When he would wake up, Aisha would have already got his siwak ready for him, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. When he and he would do the siwak, the first thing that he would do when he wakes up as well. So we have so many narrations actually. So it's well established this practice. So Sheikh says there's two major benefits from this hadith. Number one, a dunya dunyai one and an ukhrawiya one, meaning one which is in the dunya, one which is in the akhirah. Number one, that when you clean the, you know, when you use siwak, you actually clean your mouth. That's the dunyai benefit. And the ukhrawi, the akhira benefit is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with you. And he said that, and Shaykh Uthameen says, SubhanAllah, this is a very simple, small action, very simple and small action, SubhanAllah, and you get a huge reward. And I want to add, make a lot of other people happy as well. You know what I'm saying? Yani, save us from your fitna. Right. Well, like customer is a fitna. Wallah, it's a fitna. I'm telling you straight, if you're here, you're here. If you're not here, you're not here. Whoever's listening to this message, wallahi, I can't stand Yani people who got bad breath, number one. Number two, actually, I don't know anyone who can stand bad breath, but I'm just saying. The, and especially, Gasmi, you lot, Yani, uh, are free of this, but we get punished in the morning. Salatul Fajr is a disaster, okay? 
You know, Salat al-Fajr, think, think classic pack mentality, yeah? Like, oh my God, I've just woken up at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to be uh, up for like an hour, tops. I mean, he's a good brother, you know, who's going to go to the masjid to pray, all right? But the mentality is, is that I'm only going to get myself ready enough to go to the masjid and get back into bed. I'm sorry, but that's not enough, Yani, you know what I'm saying? Right? Just because you got this big intention of going back to bed, at least fear Allah a little bit. Yani, do you use a bit of deodorant when you've come because you just got out of bed? Put on at least some clothes which you weren't sleeping in. And, <laughs> and clean your mouth, Yani. You know, because they say, oh, I'm going to brush my teeth properly when I wake up properly at 8, 9 o'clock, isn't it? So we'll sack it off now. We'll just do a pack one, Yani, with the finger. No toothpaste, no mouthwash, no nothing. Oh my God. Gasmis, rough. Wallah, unacceptable. Wallah, it's unacceptable. Well, uh, pan, pan, beer, beer, yeah? pan, pan, smoking, tobacco combined with the the morning as well. With diabetes, with periodontal disease, period, period, God knows what, and whatever. Shazad is enjoying himself now. He sees all these lines coming out. So, I but it's true. The wallah is true. I'm just saying a reminder to myself and everyone else that even if you're going to the masjid for five minutes, please, for the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for the pleasure of your Lord and for the ease of us, yani masakeen, just brush those teeth. It really makes a difference. Gasme, wallahi. And I'm telling you now, I will speak to that person. I'll give him a hug, double hug. I love speaking to people who've got the yani, clean breath, you know? I don't mind about your teeth. I don't mind. We're in England. We don't care about teeth. Yani, kalai. All right? But smell, unacceptable. Unacceptable. Especially fajr. And Ramadan coming and it, everyone's going to be trying to blag it. Oh, stinking mouth is good to Allah and all this behavior. Yeah, <laughs> We're going to deal with that now as well. <laughs> We're going to deal with that as well. Trust me, I know. I know you packs want to use that as an excuse. Right, okay. And, and, and subhanAllah, Sheikh goes, he goes, subhanAllah, he goes, it's a small action. He gets such a great reward. He goes, I can't believe it. He goes, you've got some people. The Wallahi, that they go for two or three months. They don't even brush their teeth. إِمَّا جَهْلًا أَوْ تَحَوْنَا yeah, and he goes, regardless of whether it's done in ignorance or actually because they're lazy. He goes, this is what the kind of people we face. Yeah, I think yeah, he's been praying Fajr where I have. <laughs> if someone stops me coming to you for, for, for Salat al-Fajr, I will blame them for it. Alright, so every time is established now. Okay, Let's look at the claim now by, by Al-Hajawi. He's making a big claim now. Not though for the one who's fasting. Alright, after Zawal. Alright, let's look at this claim. So, what does he say? So, first of all, he's saying that this claim is referring to fasting, whether it's obligatory or a nafal. This claim by Al-Hajjawi. Okay? Now, let's, he goes, let's look at what he's first trying to say. Bad is Zawal. What is Zawal? Zawal is when the sun hits the zenith. What's the zenith? The zenith is the highest point in the sky that the sun will hit. If, you're not, if you don't know your times and your sun movements and your sun, all the rest of it, let me explain to you what happens, okay? Um, this is, I'm making it very, very simple because obviously this is not what happens technically. Uh, which one's my east here? If, I, if I, you're looking at me at the camera? Which one's the east? Does this that, one's there. Our east is that. This your is your east? Yeah. This is your east? Okay, so the sun rises in the east, okay? And so you see it, when the sun rises, that's when Fajr finishes, it starts getting higher and higher, 
okay after like about 20 minutes or so after it's gone past sunrise this is when you're allowed to pray if you haven't prayed already and it's now clear and you can start to pray shuruq, whatever you want to call it and then duha and duha is better to be delayed actually and that's why it's called the forenoon because the sun gets higher and higher and warmer and warmer and around 9 10 o'clock in a warm country is quite hot quite uncomfortably hot and then it starts to get to i don't know 11 12 and so on and then one o'clock and it starts to get very very high and very very white and very very direct right above and it's burning you and it goes all the way up 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 and i want you to imagine as i explained in fiqh salada this is like that ride uh what's that ride called parachute yeah so you know the parachute it got it swings and swings and swings and swings and then it gets right up to there and then it basically hangs there and you know freaks life out yeah basically and then it falls yeah so this is exactly what happens to the sun in my little model the sun goes all the way up there and then it hangs 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 and then it starts to go so i want you to understand that when it gets to that point there and it pauses and then it goes this is defined as the sun setting okay the sun is now setting towards the west and this is what is called uh, zawal it has now left the previous position and it's now moving down uh, it's now starting to set and of course um uh, at that stage at that very early stage when it's right at that uh, 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 stationary point that stationary point is a very very expressive magnificent boiling moment the sun doesn't move nothing moves and so on and this is one of the prohibited times for prayer because the pagans would take that as a huge sign because it's so bright so hot so still so that 10-15 minutes of it basically hanging is when it's not allowed to pray and that's when if you're in one of the modern high quality guji mosques you'll see a big red traffic light at the front where it says don't pray have you prayed in one of these masajid anyone of you had the pleasure yeah. you guys haven't lived that's the problem honestly it's the best invention ever if there's ever a bit out which i want in this masjid it's one of those green traffic light red traffic light makru time haram time amazing right so that's red traffic light time then suddenly it goes and then it's the the dhuhr then kicks in this is called zawal is that clear so the meridian basically is this line that goes up all the way and the zenith is the highest point when it passes the zenith this is when dhuhr kicks in we'll cover that in detail when it comes to salah in about 16 years time right so um so he says that zawal idha malat ila jihat al-maghrib so he goes that the zawal starts or ends or the zawal starts the moving and leaving behind starts when it starts to set and lean towards the west um okay as for uh, uh, he goes if you want to he goes the people of knowledge He's just actually now trying to clarify the point even further. He goes that the people of knowledge have said, if you want to see this and actually time it and observe this properly, you're not going to be able to do it by looking up. So what you do is you get a stick and you stick it in the ground. Okay? شَيْءٍ مُرْتَفِعًا وَتَنظُرْ إِلَى فِيهِ مَا يَنْقُصْ لَمْ He goes that basically what's going to happen is that you're going to see the stick. This is how it used to be done before and this is a good thing to do with your kids in a garden. You stick the stick in and you watch its shadow okay so you will see that 11 o'clock 12 o'clock what's happening to this shadow it's reducing 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 because the sun is getting further 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 above will the shadow go completely why won't the shadow go completely because there's an angle there's an angle on the we're on an axis which is a little bit mashallah bent is it bent 
Or are we bent? <laughs> Is it offset or are we offset? It's an aqidah question that. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Someone said to me, you're late. I said, I'm not late. One second. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted me to come right this moment. How can you say, I'm late? Let's go against the qadr of Allah. That freaked the guy out, miskeen, yani. So I said, I'll take it back. I'm sorry, I was only kidding, yeah? So now I'm thinking about the earth, yani. Yeah, earth's perfect. So who's going to say the earth's bent? Maybe it's meant to be like that. Maybe we've put everything on the wrong side. Anyway. So... You will see if you put that stick, you'll always still have a shadow because the sun is, because we're at an angle, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, soon as that shadow then starts to get bigger from the other side, okay, then you know the sun is setting. Soon as the shadow stops and it doesn't move for a period of time, that's the zawal period that you're not allowed to pray. That's of course how it used to be done back in the day. That's how you used to calculate it back in the day. Right, so... Let's quickly uh, uh, rush through this because I don't want to be left with work uh, after this uh, today. Um, okay, so now that everyone understands yeah, what we're talking about in terms of the time, okay, i.e. the beginning time of Dhuhr is what the, the, the Hajjawi is talking about. He doesn't want people to do siwak. Shaykh Uthameen goes, listen, actually it's well known, mashhur from the madhab, the Hanbali madhab, that it is hated, that it's makruh to do the siwak after zawal for the one who is fasting for the one who is fasting what's the evidence for the hanbalis the prophet sallallahu said idha sumtum fastaku bil ghada wala tastaku bil ashi the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said if you are going to fast then um, do your siwak in the morning and don't do your siwak in the afternoon the word ashi here means the time after zawal. Ashi, okay, means the time after zawal. This hadith is narrated by Adar Qutni and also uh, by Imam Al Bayhaqi on the authority of Ali radiallahu an, and it is weak and it was considered weak and da'if by Imam Al Bayhaqi himself and by Ibn Hajar Al Asqalani as narrated at the bottom in the footnotes so they use that hadith we consider that hadith to be weak frankly okay so that's the first point the second point my favorite point the prophet said the prophet said in the hadith which is narrated in bukhari and as authentic as the sun itself that the smell that emanates from the mouth of the fasting one is more beautiful with Allah on the day of resurrection than the smell of musk itself. <coughs> the smell emanating from the mouth of the one who is fasting is more beautiful with Allah on the day of resurrection than the smell of musk itself. Hadith written by Bukhari in the chapter of fasting. Um, the word khuluf, bidom al khuluf, is the ra'iha, the unpleasant smell. Al kariha, the unpleasant smell that comes in the khulu al ma'da min al ta'am. This is from the word khali. Yeah? Khali. So basically what he's saying is that when the ma'da, when your, when your 
What's the matter? Stomach, yani, your gut face. I think gut more internally, kind of the stomach is internal as well, I guess. But he goes, when it's empty, it's emanating a smell. That smell is called khaluf, okay? Um, and Sheikh Uthameen says, I don't know about the, the, the mechanics of this, yani, but Sheikh Uthameen, he goes that the, the majority of the time, this seems to appear at the end of the day or later on in the day, he says. And it seems to be associated with a lack of food as opposed to a full stomach. Um, لكن لما كان ناشئا uh, and he goes that but because that this is a smell which is indicating something you're doing for the sake of Allah and uh, uh, and associated with acts of worship then it's not right that it should go this is him just يعني, sounding out the argument we shouldn't try to get rid of something which is indicating something which Allah values okay and he goes, the evidence that's given by the Hanbalis for this statement of theirs, this is them in the explanation. He goes, is the blood of the Shaheed. He goes, when the Shaheed passes away, okay, uh, you are not to take the blood off the body. Okay, so when the Shaheed is martyred, we don't cleanse the Shaheed from his blood. In fact, it is obligatory to bury him in his same, very same clothes and with that same blood that has been spilt in achieving his martyrdom. As the Prophet ﷺ commanded in which battle? Anyone remember? In the, in the Shuhada of Uhud. When the Shuhada of Uhud that is exactly what he told the rest of the Muslims to do. This is narrated by Bukhari in the book of uh, funerals. Okay, and the Hanbalis continued. Uh, he goes, "So there, anything which happens, which is in the, uh, which is a result of the worship of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, then and it's a proof of that worship, it should not be removed." This is the Hanbali speaking. Okay. Um, and therefore, we do not like for the uh, fasting fasting one to use the siwak after zawal, because that's the time when the smell is going to kick in, and you're now trying to get rid of it. And وَأَمَّا قَبْلَ الزَّوَالِ فَقَالُوا يُسْتَحَبُّ بِيَابِسٍ He said, but actually. But the Hanbalis, they carried on and they said, but as for in the morning, he's allowed, it is sunnah for him, mustahab, meaning recommended, I should say. It is recommended for him to use something which is dry, which is to use a dry stick. And it is acceptable, it is acceptable, meaning mubah, permissible, for him to use something which is wet, yani moist. Because of course the moist uh, uh, stick cleanses better than a completely dry one. Okay, so I hope you understood his the caveats. They said it's hated to do it after uh, 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 in the afternoon. In the morning, he's allowed to do, uh, he's allowed to do it with a moist one, and it is recommended for him to do it with a dry one. And it is recommended for him to to do it with a dry one. So that's the three rulings. Okay, again, so. So therefore they've put three scenarios 
for the use of siwak for the one who is fasting. Number one, permissible mubah. Permissible to use it, a moist one in the morning. Recommended to use a dry one in the morning before zawal. And hated to use dry or wet one after zawal. Is that clear? Those are the three positions of the Hanbalis when it comes to the use of the siwak for the fasting person with relation to zawal time. You know what? That's pretty intense, Yanni, for one small tiny part. You know what I'm saying? I can't believe they went into three positions, but that's what they did. This is found in Al Mughni, and you'd expect it to be found in Al Mughni, to be honest. Okay? Um, and you might say, what is the evidence that they said that it is Masnoon? Okay? What's the evidence that they used to say Masnoon qabla zawal? They said by the general evidences i.e. that is pleasing to the Lord, i.e. If I, if I could, I could command my belief, my ummah to do it. So the generality of all the evidences for siwak is what has made them consider it to be a recommended act in the morning. What the, and then he said, what made them uh, say that it is permissible to use the wet one? Because, أَنَّهُ لِرُطُوبَتِهِ يُخْشَى That's not very clear to me why he said that this is an evidence for... Uh, the Prophet ﷺ said uh, in, the, in the authentic hadith which is narrated from Laqit ibn, Sabr, ibn Sabra, sorry, radiallahu anhu, he told him, istinshaq illa an takuna sa'ima, that um, exaggerate the, um, exaggerate the uh, gargling and the rinsing of the mouth when you're making wudu, except if you're fasting, okay? Now the reason he said except if you're fasting is because the more that you play around with water in your mouth, the more likelihood is that you're going to swallow it. And so therefore, what Shaykh Uthameen is saying is that they used that hadith and they said that we're not going to recommend, recommend you using the wet stick. You're allowed to use it. But we're not going to recommend it just in case you start getting carried away and then you also put yourself in the same position as the one who is rinsing and gargling. He goes, as for, as for the... Uh, it being hated afterwards, uh, after Zawal, what's the evidence? The hadith that he mentioned, okay, and the, 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 the idea that it's going to mess up your fast and so on. Okay, that's the evidence. Some scholars, Shaykh Uthameen says, that actually it's not hated at all for the one who's fasting to use the, uh, 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 actually it is not hated at all and in fact, the fasting one should use it like the non-fasting one. Whenever, however, whatever. Okay? And this, this is narrated from, uh, narrated in Al-Insaf. In Al-Iqna'a. What's uh, Iqna'a? Anyone know? Al-Iqna'a is also another book which was written by Al-Hajjawi himself. Al-Iqna'a itself, Al-Hajjawi, our, our own author here, he wrote that as a bit of a bigger kind of commentary, commentary piece upon Muknir. Okay, slight kind of commentary piece. He said in that that huwa huwa adhar dalila. This is the, the ironic part that according to some of the scholars, this seems to be the most apparent position, and this is also what well, this is also 
what who chose Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah okay so what does Ibn Taymiyyah choose as his position actually that the one who's fasting is is to use the siwak just like everyone else just like everyone else at all times every time no difference whatsoever what is their evidence is they said he goes frankly all of the hadith which mention to do the siwak don't seem to make any exception to the siwak so why are you making the exception for the uh, fasting person okay uh, especially when the hadith of aisha and he said because the prophet ﷺ never gave any exception whatsoever this is a golden statement in Usul al-Fiqh. Shaykh Uthameen says that from the principles of fiqh is that when something has a general ruling, the ruling remains upon its generality until something comes to make it specific. In the absence of something coming to make it specific, we keep to the general ruling. Did you understand that point? Okay. And how that can happen? I explain that. All of the hadith say you should do it. It's good. Do it all the time. I wish I could do it all the time upon my nation, but it'd be difficult. Do it. It's pleasing to your Lord. It's cleaning to your mouth. Those are uh, uh, arm evidences. Where's the authentic evidence that says the fasting one is not to do it? There's no evidence. Until the evidence comes, therefore we go back to the original principle, which is that it's to be done by all people at all times. As for the hadith that they mentioned, that hadith is weak and we cannot use it at all. He goes, it's not possible. He goes, as for response to their, 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 uh, their, their reasoning, this is the fun part, okay? He goes, as for the one who was killed, I know that you guys guys getting tired, I know we've gone over, but I know that if we, actually there's no way that we're going to get this done. My goodness me. There's no way. Sad news, Yara. I didn't realize Kasmir didn't. One, two, three, four, five. Five pages, man. And on one of those pages, there's brushing techniques. And you know, Shazad's going to have a field day with that. He's going to want to stand up and give an essay and lecture and everything. And, you know, he's going to want to refute Sheikh Uthameen. He's going to say, who's Sheikh Uthameen? Yeah, and he's saying that he's starting with the right and brushing like that. We do like this. I'm saying Sheikh Uthameen told you how to brush your teeth and you're saying you got to do it like that. <laughs> you know the funny thing, Shazada thought that just because he'll move to the right-hand side, he's going to become safe. As if, that, as if, I, as if that it's going to be difficult for me just to talk to him over there. Hi Shazadi, how you doing Yara? Yeah, I just want to say to everyone that they, these people, they killed Shazada this week. They came and they, they took his sister, they married his sister, and they came and stole, stole her from us. We're very unhappy. How, Yani, you know what it is? These people come and they just marry our sisters and our daughters, Yani, they think they just get away with it. Yeah, and they just come and just take the girl, khalas. They don't know what happens behind the scenes. Shazada, they kill them. They killed him. He has to go and organize this and this and the people and the stress and the catering and the hall and the people and this, that, whatever. And so I didn't get any time with Shazada myself for the last four or five days. And that's all because these people coming to marry this girl. It's unacceptable, to be honest. And I just want to say, Shazada, it's good to have you back here.
What a fitness to have girls, yani. they don't have to get them married. Yani. I don't think it's happening, folks, you know that. Unless you guys give me another half an hour. <coughs> I know that you packs aren't going to do that. So, okay, all right. Okay, never mind. I thought you guys were up for it as well. You're all bunch of, you know, flaking out. Bob's bunked it as well, isn't it? Is he watching the game, yeah? What game? Nice, you see? That guy's up on the hack right there. What game? Only because no one's told him, that's all. <laughs> What's the score? You know, who's got the score? Come on, someone tell me. I know you know. I know you've been second. I thought it was end of the season. End of season. Confederations Cup. Confederations Cup, yeah. Spain, Italy. Um, I like the way everyone's trying to blag it. Like, oh no, we don't know. We don't know. Anyway, all right. So I think what we'll do is we'll call it. We'll do a bit of Q&A if you want. We'll do a bit of Q&A if you want. By the way, I'm going to be doing, um, uh, obviously, fasting. We will do next week. Um, but we're doing a lot more detail this weekend. And Zakah, of course. Can I just say that no one knows anything about Zakah? Every time I teach Zakah, I get more depressed. People have no idea about Zakah. That's depressing. Should we do the, should we do the LP bestie test? I've done it everywhere I've gone so far. How much do you need to earn or have before it's obligatory to give Zakah? Should we do that? Or is that unfair? If you don't know, then we have to ask the question, Yani, do you know that you have to pray your Maghrib and how many raka'ah and when? If you do know that, I want to know why is it that you don't know how much you need to have before you got to give zakat? I think that's a fair question, isn't it? I think it's a fair question. All right then, should we do it? Or is that just thingy? Or is that just is that is that pushing marketing for Risk Factory this weekend a bit too far? Let's do it. Why not? Okay, come in the center. Should we just choose people? No, that's haram, that. <laughs> that's going to make me hate it, man. I'm going to get no chocolate, nothing. Right, okay. Come on in. Let's have some guesses. Guess. In pounds? Yeah, in pounds. Okay, dollars if you want. <laughs> we'll take Sheikh Alan's opinion of 400 pounds. 400 quid? Six pounds. Six pounds? It's just under two grand. Under two grand? About 400. About 400. 260. Actually, there's two opinions because one's according to silver. Just the opinion, the correct opinion. That's the only. Th oh, no. That's the correct opinion. Alhamdulillah, we were saved by one sister as usual. I'm not going to say the answer because she got the answer exactly right. But I'm, I'm happy at least that one of the, the sisters from LP, they got the exact wrong answer. So alhamdulillah, it's okay. Okay. All right. That's Zakah. That's this weekend. Okay. All right. Come in Q&A. Any Q&A? Yes. Do you know, the Hanbalis presented that sort of discussion that uh, if somebody does something as an act of ibadah and there's some sort of mark that, or sign that comes in the way of it, then that should remain. How can we explain, for example, the action of don't, don't Don't go there. The, the response to this is, yeah, is, it, well, it's not going to be next week, but it's in the next page. So we'll, we'll, have, we'll do that properly. We'll do that. Next week we'll do this, yeah. The, it'll be in the in the in that page. Yeah. So in the first well the first session in this section, you've mentioned that this is what the benefit is both physical and chemical. Physical in the brushing and the chemicals in the sawab. So for the modernist then, is the equivalent of the toothbrush and the toothpaste? Correct. Or is it just the physical aspect of brushing? 
for I, I, and astaghfirullah I also want to make sure that I don't leave that impression in your mind that anyone who uses a toothbrush and toothpaste is a modernist yeah <laughs> but I'm saying the modern way of, of yeah, that's what the, mod, yeah, the modern take on, 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 on this would be yes that um, there is clear that the siwag or, or we've proven chemically that the, that the arak tree itself has more than just a physical nature to it there's clearly something antiseptic in its juice or in its fluid or whatever so yes you would have to include toothpaste to combine it which is actually what weakens the argument of the uh, um, toothbrush, toothpaste uh, uh, thingy. But anyway, we'll come to that. Yeah. Is it just a rock roots that you can use, or is it can you use that olive tree? So we mentioned that last week that Sheikh Uthameen does believe you are allowed to use all trees. Now, that's okay for him to say because he doesn't consider, he follows the opinion of Sheikh Uthameen Taymiyyah that actually you can use anything that cleans the mouth as good and as better than the previous thing. So he's naturally going to have no problem with that. As for the traditionalists, then they of course restrict it to siwak from the Arak tree. And, and there are even some of them that said actually the, the, the illa is the ud itself, which is why there's such a big emphasis on the wood, and therefore all trees. So this, this, that's there within the, 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 the divergence of the, of the opinions. Yeah. Um, so we've covered that there's an opinion about siwak when you're fasting, yes. it's okay at all times. So what's the situation with toothbrush and toothpaste then? That's going to be covered next week, inshallah. Yeah, next week we're going to do that in, in its own specific section. Anyone there? Online? Those are the same questions. Same questions? Okay, cool. Jazakumullah khair. Makrib is not far away. If you want to hang around, please let the sisters leave first. Oh, sorry, uh, guys. So, uh, two points. So, yeah, risk factor is on Friday. Uh, register at Al Maghrib and there's flyers at the door. And tomorrow, that's first event. Tomorrow, there's a second event. Uh, tomorrow's talk is at Disbury Masjid. We have Ustad Bilal Asad or Asad from uh, Australia, and he is going to be discussing Ramadan. That's tomorrow at 8 p.m. And also, uh, my brother himself will be giving a seminar on fasting at this masjid. 29th. Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, Saturday at quarter past seven, I think, or 7:30. It must be after Asad, isn't it? Yeah. 7:30. 7:30 at this masjid, and that's on fasting with Abid. And yeah, Abed as yeah. Well. Uh, so Ustad Abid Khan, Ustad Kifatullah, they will be doing that this Saturday here. And there's a lot more uh, notices outside as well. So those are the three things. Risk Factory on Friday, and that's going to be at Salford. Tomorrow, Didsbury Masjid, Manchester Islamic Centre, 8 p.m. for Ustad Bilal Asad. And Saturday night for Kif and uh, Abid. Jazakumullah khair wa subhanakallah wa bihamdik shalallahu alayhi wa sallam.